0: This is Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder? Hey, welcome to Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder. I'm Molly Stillman, and this is a podcast where I sit down with a different guest each week and have raw, funny, often brutally honest conversations about the things that matter most faith, business, life, and everything in between, where we each learn how to be good stewards of the things we've been entrusted with, even our stories, and how we can use those things to serve others and leave our families, our friendships, and our communities a little better than we found them. I want to create a space where people are unafraid to be themselves and unafraid to ask the questions that the rest of us are thinking. My goal is to make you laugh, cry, and laugh till you cry. My guest this week is John R. Miles. He is the dynamic force behind passion struck, captivating millions with his globally renowned podcast and national radio show. He has cemented his status as a guiding voice in alternative health and leadership. He is a former U.S. Navy officer, Fortune 50 senior executive and he is celebrated as a transformative leader in intentional behavior change and personal mastery. He's an author, entrepreneur, podcast host, and just a visionary in modern leadership. His new book, Passion Struck, is out now, and I am so excited for this conversation. He again, I mean he he hosts one of the top charted podcasts in the world and has spoken with, you know, global leaders and some of the most well-known names. He has just a breadth and wealth of knowledge. And this is a really, really interesting conversation. I know that you are going to learn a lot from John, especially, you know, just anytime I get to talk with somebody who has had the type of life and work experience that he has had, I know that I'm going to learn something and I know you are too. So without further ado, on to my chat with John Miles. I'm always very excited about an interview Uh, when it was rescheduled (laughs) because of technical difficulties, which has been the story of my life this week. But I tell you, John, every time this happens where we end up having to reschedule because of technical issues, the conversation we end up having is always amazing. And so it just, you know, it just was supposed to happen when it's supposed to happen. John, (laughs) welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Uh, Well, Molly's so glad to see you again and can't wait to serve your audience.
0: Yes. And you are uh, no stranger to the podcast world because you yourself are a podcaster, uh, one of the top podcasts in the world. No big deal. Slight flex, John Miles. Um, (laughs) So, John, uh, before we dive into our conversation, uh, this is what all my guests do, and that's give us the John 101. So tell us who you are, what you do, how you got to where you are today.
1: Yeah. Hi. Hey, I'm John Miles. I am a author, podcaster, entrepreneur, and an educator. And I came down this path to doing what I'm doing today, I think, through divine intervention. yeah, uh, because I found myself for most of my career doing something completely different. and I call myself a recovering senior executive. So <laughs> I, I've really had uh, three different phases in my life, uh, the military phase, the business executive phase. And now really this phase that I find myself in now.
0: Okay. So that's, you know, uh, it's funny. I had a conversation with, um, my friend Shannon, who was on the show a couple of weeks ago and we talked about this idea. And this is actually one of the main things I really wanted to talk with you about. And, and, and her whole thing was how life we're often marketed this, um, this or, or sold, so to speak, this linear life, that life is just this linear track where you, you know, you, you grow up in the, the good middle-class home and you go to college and you get the degree and you get the career and you, you advance in the career and you get married and you have the 2.5 kids and then you have the 3.5 grandkids. And then, you know, and you just, you're on this linear path when that is just not, Reality, um, and instead, life is much more of a you know a non linear path. And um, one of the things that you talk about in your book, which spoiler alert, uh, you have a book out, uh, "Passion Struck." I have had a chance to um, preview it. It's fantastic, um, and it is "Passion Struck: Twelve per- Powerful Principles to Unlock Your Purpose and Ignite Your Most Intentional Life." Um, it's incredible. Um, but I was about halfway through, and one of the things you talked about in here was immediately I struck a chord with it. And partly because, uh, I used a similar metaphor in my book (laughs) Um, and my book's not like a leadership book. It was just more of uh, my, my book's a memoir. Um, but it's about, uh, the pinball life. And you talk about this idea of, um, about how, you know, pinball machines are a study in distraction. Um, and you talk about, you know, a pinball life uh, in the way that you describe It's just kind of when you're, you're, you're not, you're bouncing around without purpose and there's just, you're just hitting, you know, things left and right and um and i talk about that in my book about how in a lot of ways like we were we my family and i when i was growing up like we were kind of leaving leading this pinball life because my mom had been diagnosed with a, a a fatal illness and um we felt like pinballs just being you know just trying to stay out of the trough and um and that you know, sometimes you're kind of forced into a pinball life, and sometimes you uh, lead a pinball life by accident. But one of the things you say in the book um, is: "It says when you when we lead a pinball life, we are not focused on solving world problems, nor are we really practicing vital leadership. We are living a life that is necessary but not strategic, Whew, valuable but not value added. It's apathy at its pinnacle, and it puts us in survival mode without us even realizing it is happening." It is being stuck in an infinite loop of spontaneous transactions with the world around us. This whole chapter, I just was like, Underline, highlight this <laughs> whole so, because yes, and I feel like this speaks just what you said even in your introduction about how you're you know this recovering uh you know exec senior executive, um, but you know you have military experience and all these things, and so I want to just we're gonna you know, dive off the hundred foot diving board right now into this topic because it is one that from my listeners and and my, even my friends and people in my church like. This is the thing that so many people can relate to is that often feeling like they are leading a pinball life, whether they've been put there on purpose or or, or by accident or or even unintentionally found themselves in it. So I'd love for you to just kind of hit on this topic about what it means and why it is so important for us to break free from this cycle, again, whether we were put there uh, by our own doing or not.
1: Well, Molly, a great way to introduce it, and I am so glad that you're actually reading it because at one point the editor wanted to chop this entire chapter out, and (laughs) it was, it was one of the last ones I added. It might have been the last one, this one or the chapter that follows it, and it was it was originally eleven principles, and then I just really felt this calling that this one was one that had to be there, and I had hit a word count that was above what they wanted for the book. And so they told me I needed to get rid of four or 5,000 words, which would have been in this chapter. And instead of doing that, I just made cuts throughout the entire book so we could preserve it. But I thought it was so important to kind of end on this. This is the 12th out of the 12 principles in the book. And as I think about what we hear from so many people in self-improvement is they tell you that so many people are living on autopilot. And when I started to think about that analogy, I don't think it's right. Parts of it are, meaning we keep going through the same motions, but when you're on autopilot, at least you're pointed in a positive direction. You're typically still going towards the direction you want in life. Right. And I think when we're acting like a pinball, we're completely unintentional. We are so distracted by the world around us, so caught up, in the matrix that we're not allowing ourselves to live with intention to craft the life we want to become the self-realized version of ourself that God put us here to actuate yeah. in our life. Yeah. And I, I guess I was just thinking about it because I, as a kid, I love playing pinball same. And, and what really made me think about this analogy is anyone who knows pinball knows that It's a very complex game made of a whole bunch of mini games. Mm -hmm. And I think life is complex just like this. And it's really that constant learning that we do in life that tells us how to navigate. Because just like playing pinball, you make a whole bunch of mistakes as the ball keeps going down the gutter. But over time, you learn what the games are and how to navigate them. And so I think it's a great way to think about instead of playing your game by being the ball, be the player who's mastering the different micro games mm. and the overall game of life. And to me, this starts and ends with unwavering focus about being intentional to keeping the main thing, the main thing in our life.
0: So if somebody is feeling like, cause I know I've very much felt it, stuck in these patterns before, as I mentioned. Um, and, and the reality is, is, None of us are born um, with these muscles intact, um, and, and that's what they are. They're spiritual, they're mental, they're emotional muscles, and it's really difficult to uh, kind of learn this from scratch. Is um, And it can also... Th- sound, it can feel very vague. And, um, this concept that sometimes like lives up here in, in the ether or whatever, where it's like, okay, but that sounds great. Living with intentionality sounds great. Not living a pinball life sounds great. How do you actually break free from that cycle in a way that is tangible. So for example, like if you're somebody who often asks yourself the question, and I say this to to the listeners, like say you're listening and and you have found yourself saying to to yourself, um, allow myself to introduce myself. Um, You you found yourself talking to yourself where you're like, um, I should be X, Y, Z by now. I should be here by now. I should be married by now. I should be having kids by now. I should be promoted in my work by now. I should be a published author by now or whatever. Whatever is the like, you feel like you aren't where you should be. More often than not, or I don't know if I want to say more often than not, it just often leads to one of those, um, those scenarios where you have to look at, all right, well, where were you? where are you now and where are you trying to go? And so if you find yourself stuck in that hamster wheel of, of, or pinball life, however you want to do it, what are some of the things that you, that you speak to, or you, um, yourself did when you lived a pinball life to kind of break free from that cycle and actually move the needle, move forward in, in towards your goal. Again, getting out of the, this sounds really good. And what does it look like on paper?
1: Yeah, so let me give you a little bit of background, just so people understand where these principles came from, because I don't want people to think that, man, John just made these things off the fly. (laughs) Um, I, I have always been enamored with leadership and followed leaders and people who have made a profound difference, and as I have examined them and wanted to emulate them, I started to see... pattern emerge probably 20 years ago. Uh, But I really started researching this at this point about nine years ago. And I started by examining maybe 50 or 60 leaders. And when I say leaders, this is from all walks of life, everything from CEO, church leaders, to athletes, to actors and actresses, to uh, performers, so to astronauts. I kept seeing these things repeat and it started with me kind of jotting down about 40 things. And then as I examined more and more people, 12 of them came to the surface Mm. and that's became the 12 principles that are in the book. And to me, it's the 12 principles that so many of these vanguards that we see allow them to become what Robin Sharma says are the 5% or the 10 Xers or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. But, but let me, discuss something that you were just bringing up. So there's something called self-discrepancy theory that you might've just been alluding to. And this is developed by a psychologist, Edward Torrey Higgins. And really what he talks about in self-dis- self-discrepancy theory is that we have three selves. We have the actual self, the ideal self and the odd self. Mm-hmm. So you can think of as your actual self represents your current abilities, how you see yourself now. Your ideal self is the person that you want to become. It's all your hopes, dreams, your ambitions. And the odd self is the self that's shaped by our sense of obligation or duty. So yeah. to break this down, the ideal self is who you could be. The odd self is who you should be. And the actual self is who you currently are. And so in that first principle that I talk about in the book, which is called a mission angler, this whole chapter is really about life crafting. And I introduce it through the lens of a mission angler, because as a person who lives in Tampa Bay and who likes to fish, it's not as if on the day I want to go fishing, I hop into the boat, just point it out in the Gulf and don't be mindful about the bait. Don't be mindful about the tides, the moon, anything else, just put my anchor in and hope I'm going to catch fish. No, the typical fisherman is very deliberate about how they want to angle for fish, but what I find is so few of us do this in our own life, really angling it to find and search for our uniqueness that only we can bring to the world. And so what this really becomes is an exploration of where we are today, our actual self to where we want to become in the future, our future self. And I think what so many of us do is we end up angling more and more towards our odd self instead of angling, or our ideal self. I know that's what I did for so many years of my life, because we get into that path like you were talking about, where maybe we graduate college or trade school, and we get in this job. And before we know it, five years has passed. And then we have kids, and then more time has passed. And all of a sudden, all these burdens are piling up. And so to think about how you have to break free from it, you have to go back to how you got here to begin with because oftentimes we think that we're going to just get from point A to point B, and it's like hitting a light switch. But the reality the reality is you didn't get here like it was a light switch. I mean, when I found that I was really stuck, I was probably a good 10, 15 years into my career. And I just sitting there looking like, how in the heck did I end up here, where I feel so unfulfilled, where I feel like nothing I do really matters. And I think they're I'm going to put it out there. Billions of people out there who feel the same way. If you listen to Gallup, I mean, they cite their 900 million people in 142 countries. I think it's even worse than that. So if you want to start changing this, it starts by taking tiny steps. I call them micro choices in the book. What I tried to do at first, and what I think a lot of people try to do at first is they try to big bang it. They try to Take this gigantic leap thinking that they can get wherever they are to where they want to be, and it's going to happen magically. And what ends up happening instead is it's like so many New Year's resolutions is you start, you set too many goals, and then you end up giving up on all of them. So what I encourage people to do is to completely reframe the way that they're looking at life. A great example of this that I give in the book is something that a psychologist I went to taught me, and that is. I kept seeing my life as if I was, well, he got me to see that the way I was living my life was as if I was sitting on a stool and that stool had one large base underneath it. And for me, that base had become the daily grind. And what ended up happening is that grind keeps catching up with you until you burn out. And then what do you think is going to happen? That whole stool top was over. But he got me to see life how it could be as a stool with multiple supports. and if you're a listener, you can cultivate those to be anything you wanted. I choose. I chose to make them physical health, mental health, spiritual health, emotional health, relationship health. And to me, it's then picking one of those and starting to make some small goals that you want to accomplish that are just far enough out of your reach that they cause you to have courage to take that step, but not far enough out. That it's not going to be impossible to achieve them. And then if once you start going down this path of making those tiny micro choices, those tiny decisions to pursue it, it ends up having a synergistic effect where it starts populating across all the other pillars. And before you know it, just like that undercurrent that got you here to begin with, you start building a foundation in the direction that you want to take your life.
0: I love how you talk about those different uh, or pillars, the supports, um, because it really does, it all plays into it. And um you know, and, and one of the things you talk about in the book, and I kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier is like intentionality is a muscle. It's, it's like any other muscle that we have to exercise. And, um, the reality is too, is, you know, think about when, when you want to work out and you want to get stronger, what do you have to do? You have to continue to push yourself. You have to continue to add weight. You have to get to the point where it's funny how, um, um, you know, I I I've I've watched my my husband works out all the time Um, and every time I watch him work out like there are times where I'm like are you in physical pain like you look like you are in so much pain right now like sometimes I'm like you look miserable and you are choosing to do this and it's you know the grunting and the but it's because you know every time he is trying to increase his reps or he's increasing his weight when he's, you know, building muscles. And in order to do that, you have to break down those muscle fibers. And in order to break down those muscle fibers, you have to push yourself harder. And so, um, you know, that's obviously the physical aspect of it, but when, but with intentionality and, um, and, and breaking free of these cycles and, and whether it is healing in your, or or working towards healing and getting better in your relationship health or your, your spiritual health or your mental health or your emotional health, like it's going to take work and it's going to be hard. And, um, I like the way that you talked about kind of setting goals that are just a little bit past where you are now. And then you get to that one and then you just go a little bit further from there. And these like, uh, what was the term you said? Micro, um, what was the term? I call used? it
1: micro choices.
0: Yes. Micro choices. I love that. I love that. It's these micro choices to just move a little bit further um, in your life. And um, I'm curious for you. I'd love for you to share a little bit more. I mean, you've, we've we've talked about this some, you know, about how you were, you worked at a, you know, Fortune 500 company, but. You know, you were a decorated naval officer and, um, you know, my mom was in the military. My mom was in the army and, um, you know, the and I have so many loved ones um, who are, uh, you know, Navy, Marines, Army. And, um, you know, this is a huge piece of uh, of people who come out of of the military is their lives are often so their lives in the military are so regimented and so, uh, you know, just by the book. I mean, just your uniform is by the book and your schedule every day is by the book and what you eat is by the book. And it's just like regimen, regimen, regimen. And then often they get out of the military and suddenly it's like a, it's like an identity crisis. And it's like, they don't know how to go about their lives. They don't, they don't know what to do with their time. It's like Ricky Bobby. And, 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 you know, when he's like, I don't know what to do with my hands. Like, it's like, it's a metaphorical, like, I don't know what to do with my hands. And so I'd love for you to share a little bit about your own personal story of what it was like for you when you went through this period of time, feeling directionless and lonely and bored and kind of in your own pinball life cycle and, and how you found yourself getting there and then what it really took for you to, to kind of wake up and say, I need to get out of this.
1: Yeah, I think the military is a great starting point for this. And I was fortunate uh, that what I did in the military, I, I worked for the National Security Agency and I was what they call today an information warfare officer. And what was great about that discipline is we got to work with all the services, all the different disciplines. So when I was in, I got to do joint staff stuff, I got to be on subs, ships, SEAL teams, um, I got to fly. So it, it was really a fun endeavor because you got to see so many different aspects of the military. Uh, but when I got out, I didn't get out to go into the civilian world, I actually got out to be an FBI agent. And I think the universe, God, throws curveballs at you sometimes and mine happened on a friday um i had just gotten out of the military i was supposed to report to quantico the following monday and my detailer calls me up and says um don't come to virginia uh congress didn't pass this budget and we missed our cycle and your whole class has been recycled and i remember hearing this just in disbelief and i said well how long is it going to be recycled for? And he goes, bare minimum 18 months, probably more likely three years. And I had no plan B. I thought this was an impossibility to happen. It's the US government. Of course, I'm going to just go. And I was stuck with, I I was married. I was stuck with very little choices. And so I did the only thing that I thought I could do. And that is um to put myself out there and my way of doing it was i got a hold of the service academy this like really thick book that had thousands of graduates in it and i just started randomly calling cuz we don't cuz email was still pretty nascent back then and actually mailing them letters and other things and i ended up over probably a month six weeks later having three job opportunities And I ended up picking the one that was in management consulting. And that kind of took me down this path of of uh, going into business, which I started going down this path. But it was never the thing that I dreamt of. It was never the thing that I was aspiring to do. It kind of became this thing I fell into out of necessity. But by the time the FBI called me back, um, I, I now had a child. I was in the middle of my MBA. The consulting thing had gone well. I was still working in some ways with the military. So it kind of just started this whole path where I got into this portfolio career where then it became, let's uh, try to earn more money and let's try to earn this bigger title and let's go for the accolades and the success and um, the car and the house and build our life up. And before I knew it, I I was working as a vice president for Lowe's. And uh, this was probably 2008, 2009. And I had been, I grew up Catholic. Uh, we had been going to a United Methodist church. And anyone who's familiar with that knows that they do this series of classes you can go through called discipleship. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, but I mean, this stuff isn't a joke. I mean, when you go through discipleship, it's like
0: it's, it's 36 weeks long. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so I did discipleship one. And then, uh, which covers the whole Bible, discipleship two is kind of the New Testament discipleship three. And for me, it was one of the first times I've ever like read the Bible front to back because in Catholicism, that's not how we learned. It was kind of, you were taught the aspects that they want to teach you, but it, I never felt like it was encouraged to read the whole Bible. And I was lucky. I had this great uh, minister who had a PhD in theology, but also one in history. And so he was able to really showcase the concepts in a way that made it understandable in in today's world. But as I was going through this and my relationship with God changed, I started hearing this voice that I'd never heard before. I think we're filled with this voice, this pinball voice that's telling us to keep repeating everything that we're doing. But I think sometimes we deafen out the, the voice of God telling us the path that we're supposed to be on. And I think as I was getting further and further into um, my relationship with them, I kept getting this voice and he was telling me that I'm on the wrong path. And the right path was that I was supposed to be serving people who he used the words felt hopeless, hope, helpless, beaten, bored, broken, battered. But when you're sitting there at, at Lowe's and you're making a, Good amount of money. I mean, what the heck does that supposed to mean? And I I think back when I think about the Bible of maybe Moses or one of the apostles when they're giving a task and they probably felt the exact same way. Like, what is he asking me to do? And I did what many of the figures in the Bible did. I ignored it. And I took a job to become a C level at the next company. And then he sent me a whole bunch of warning shots and and, and this stuff is like biblical, like I, in my first time I come home after being there for about two weeks, I get back to my corporate apartment and the whole thing's flooded. They move me out of that. I go into this new corporate apartment on the second floor and about a week later, I'm sitting there taking a shower and all of a sudden I feel this massive stinging all over my body and I look on my shoulders and I have scorpions on me and they're actually falling from the ceiling. About six weeks after that, oh, my family my comes.
0: Hard pass. Oh my gosh! Yes. <laughs> okay, sorry. so then I'm still going down this stuff path, of and the, the
1: family comes for a visit, and I can't make this stuff up. Then they come. The scorpions had disappeared, but then they reemerge everywhere. Like I remember being like at night with flashlights because they're crawling all over the floor, and not only that, both kids. And us have bed bugs in our beds, and then if that wasn't enough, we end up buying this house. That I mean, if you would have seen this house, it's like the epitome of materialism. But we get into this thing, and and uh, within the first month, find out that it hadn't been disclosed to us that it had significant termite damage, that insurance wasn't going to cover, and it was going to cost us two hundred thousand. So I get all these signs, and you know, still, I want to do it my way. And it it ultimately culminated years later in me continuing try to try to go my own path where, um, unfortunately, I came home from the gym one day early because the gym had an electrical fire. I had taken my child to school in uh, November of 2017. And um, it turns out that um, someone had been canvassing the house and decided to follow my patterns and use it as an entry point to go into my house. And so I walked in on an active robbery gone tragically bad as I came face to face with the intruder pointing a gun at me. And then four or five days later, an even more unfortunate thing happened when uh, one of my best friends committed suicide and coming out of that, um, man, I, I just, I remember getting on my hands and knees one day and just looking up and saying, you know, what am I doing? My life is finite. Why do I keep not listening? And it was then that I made the fundamental change to doing what I'm doing today. And to finally figure out what he was asking me to do, um, which I think is really that beginning question that you were asking me, which is how do you find this path to becoming who you're supposed to be? And I think it starts with self-awareness and introspection and really listening to what your inner voice is telling you you're supposed to be doing. And then really exploring that and trying to understand that problem that you were put on earth to, to go after. And for me, that problem as I came to understand it is the feeling that so many people today, I think don't feel significant in their lives. This underlying epidemic of unmattering that I think so many people feel
0: that is the stuff of nightmares is scorpions coming from the ceiling and all over your floor. But that's like barely scratches the surface of everything you just shared. Um, and, and you're right at there that, that underlying, um, and, and I, I love to talk about this too, especially with, with people of faith. But I, you know, I, I talk about this a lot in that, like, um, you know, whether you, or a person of faith or not, like we all are, we, we are born with this innate desire to know, like we, we all ask ourselves a question, like, why am I here? What is my purpose in life? Like it's a, this, this is the question of our exist of our existence and that need and that drive and that passion, um, that, that, that lies deep within our souls is so important. Um, and so there's a couple things I want to address here. So I, I want to get to the, that, that piece with the, the scorpions and then the, the, the series of events after that. Um, but before I do that, um, because I, I, I want to hit on this topic because I think it's so, so key. And and I know that this is even, you know, this is really the heart of your book is helping people, um, really connect with their, their passion and their purpose and, and, and ignite this intentional life so that they're not just meandering about life. Um, uh, I, I'm curious, have you seen the documentary on Netflix, the blue zone documentary, or do you know anything about the, yeah. bl- the blue zones? Yeah.
1: I mean, the different zones throughout the world that people <laughs> prosper.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Where people, yeah, they're, you know, th- these people are living to be over, you know, well over a hundred. And, and I, I, I've talked about this quite a, a bit on this podcast, um, just cause it's, it's something I love. And funny enough, uh, as of when we recorded this, this past Sunday, I actually briefly talked about it in my sermon at church and, um, but one of the things that I, th- I found to be so fascinating um, when I did my own reading about blue zones and, and watched the documentary is you can see there are certainly with the different blue zones, you know, um, around the world, you know, Loma Linda, California, Okinawa, Japan. Um, uh, there's one in Italy, one in Greece, you know, Costa Rica. You see s- some differing things, but overarching in every single community a couple of the things remain true. Um, Like diets are different in different communities, in these different communities. Um, But they're all, you know, they're all active, um, but they are all deeply embedded in their communities, um, their friendships and their family. Like they have these deep, deep relationships, Um, but they all have a purpose. They all wake up every single day just with, with a passion and a goal. I mean, all of them well into their, you know, late nineties, early one hundreds, they're volunteering. They are working, they're tending a garden. Like they have a deep, deep seated purpose and a passion. And it is, it does not fit the Western and even, you know, in Loma Linda, California, like it doesn't fit this, um, this uh, lie that we've been sold that you have to, you know, advance in the ranks. And and I think about um, I remember in the documentary in particular, there was um, they were they were highlighting this man in Costa Rica and they were just showing his um, I mean, he was like one hundred and five and he was on horseback, like herding cattle through a river and the dude's 105 and I'm just like watching him and I'm like, one, he doesn't look 105, but the man is 105 and he is just as spry as can be, and his heart and his passion for waking up every day and caring for his animals and tend and you know, going for horseback rides and and doing these things that he just loves and has been doing for a century um, was incredible and then i i looked at the the people in okinawa japan who you have these these men and these women in their again 90s their early 100s their 100 101 103 107 and they're waking up every single day and they're working with their hands and they're doing woodworking and 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 arts and crafts and they're making music and they're singing and they're doing these things that just light their soul on fire. And, um, and I just love the way that you talk about that, about that, the importance of having that and helping people to find that, because I I think that, you know, that really is such an underlying issue in so many things in, in our culture today. And, um, I just I just find it to be absolutely fascinating. I don't even know that I have a follow up question to that. Just more just the uh, I love how you how you talk about that because it's so key.
1: Well, I have a I mean, I'll, I'll talk to it, but I, I have something else that I think the listeners, if that is something you're pointing to. I'm not sure if you've ever watched uh, Louis Schwartzberg's film. He did the one fantastic fungi, but he has a more recent one called Gratitude Revealed.
0: Mm, no, I, just, I'll, I'm going to add it to my list.
1: Uh, unbelievable. It's unbelievable it kind of talks about the same thing the blue zones do, but it just, it talks about the power of basically the universe that's around us and all the things that we should be grateful for um, and the awe that we experience. And it reminds me, I interviewed uh, this Berkeley professor, Dacher Keltner, who is incredible and he, he has been studying awe for 30 years now. And he came out with a book last year called "Awe." And what was remarkable to me is that we think of awe at times when we're in nature or the birth of a child or you know things like that. And he did a lot of volunteering at uh, at San San Quentin Prison, and he said this would be the least place that you would ever think people would be experiencing awe. But he saw prisoners who were on death row experiencing awe all the time. And he said, the more he started to look into it, uh, what it came down to was that we feel awe the most often when we are either observing people doing acts of kindness, acts of gratitude, acts of service to another human being, or we ourselves are expressing it. I think it's that feeling at Christmas time of, I always feel so much more warmth when I see someone opening a present that I've intentionally got them than the ones I received myself. But I think that's something to, to, to point out. But getting back to what you were just talking about, I'm sure you're familiar with uh, the work um, that Harvard has been doing on the 80 plus year study on adult aging. And I always go back to the work that they do um, and also the work of Bronnie Ware as she's talking to people in palliative care because I think you get so many insights um, from those who are dying on what the most important things for them were. And also from these studies and to your point, it showed that relationships connection and having that, um, that purpose was really the differentiator, regardless of how much money you had or race or, or gender or whatever that made someone happy in life, feel contentment versus someone might be a billionaire yet is is miserable and one thing i i just wanted to point out is um, and i'm not sure how you do your ministry at your church but uh, two of my favorite pastors who i've ever seen speak would do this thing where they would kneel before they speak and say god please help the words be your words and not my own and i guess as i was writing this book that's exactly the same thing that um, i asked him for is i said don't I said, "Let me be your vessel. Let me write the words that that you feel I'm commanded to write uh, on your behalf." And so that's where this whole book was birthed. And it's it's really to what you explain. It's it's I am trying to teach people how to get into what Thoreau described this world of quiet desperation that so many of us find ourselves in because we're driven to the wrong things. We're leading our lives. Around the the wrong things, and we're on these hedonic treadmills of success, and it's not leading us anywhere.
0: Yeah, I, I, I mean, I just I relate to that so much. And yeah, I mean, I as I was writing my book, um, and then anytime I ever have the opportunity to um, to speak anywhere, but uh, anytime I'm, I'm given the opportunity to preach, um, I don't. I don't take it for granted for even a moment. Um, and, and one thing I pray literally every single time, um, is that just that, you know, if the words are not of God, that they would fall away. And then I always say, um, Lord, may you increase and may I decrease, um, John three thirty. And so that's a huge, a huge component to it. Well, one of the things I want to go back, uh, to one of the, when you were telling your story about the, the scorpions and then the, uh, the, the bed bugs and the termites and the, um, and then, you know, your, your friend, uh, committing suicide. I mean, just so many things that, um, you know, uh, I I mean, I've been in these times of life um, and I, I certainly have uh, a lot of friends who even right now are going through things where they have these moments of almost just feeling like Job uh, in the Bible where he just everything that could possibly go wrong is going wrong. And they almost just feel like, um, you know, it's like God's after them and it's, this moment of just the world is, is out to get you and you're just waiting for the next thing to come. But it's in those times. And I, and and the reason I'm, I'm, I'm saying all this is I'm, I'm curious for you. Was it through that time? Cause I mean, I know for, for my own experience, suffering is where I've grown the most pain is where I've, grown the most. Um, and, uh, so, you know, for you, what did you take away from that time of just feeling like you've been, you know, like scorpions are raining down from the ceiling, uh, both literally and metaphorically. And what would you say to the person who's listening or watching on YouTube? Um, what would you say to the person who is maybe in the midst of that same season right now, where it's just, it just feels like they're getting hit, Left and right, um, and they don't know what what is to come.
1: I wrote a chapter in the book called Perspective Harnesser, and I'm going to just relate it to what you've brought up because i I could have taken this chapter many different ways because it's really about cognitive restructuring, and it's really about so many of us live our lives in a linear fashion instead of a, a both and. I mean, because we can have suffering. And be self compassionate. We can experience trauma and be forgiving. Um, but I think too many of us hold on to these things as either ors, and it ends up um, engulfing everything in who we are. And uh, we find ourselves going down the spiral of despair and can't find our ways out of it. But the reason that I decided to write this story about Chris, who's a 30 plus year friend of mine, is. Um, He is such a great example of someone who has been faced with so much opportunity for adversity of his life. And I remember him telling me about uh, when he's a Navy SEAL and he was at Bud's, uh, he ended up becoming the honor man for his class. And you think about someone who's going through SEAL training and all the different trials and tribulations and stuff they have to face, and there were a few things that I really learned from him talking about this, and and that is that he started to look at buds and what was happening as if it was a rubber band that could expand and could contract. And I think it's important for people to understand that trying times as bad as that they seem. And a takeaway that I had from him was, man, it was so bad when he was at buds that there was no way he even wanted to think about the entire day ahead. So he started looking at in the, the tiniest of victories that would propel him forward. And, 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 this might mean the, the opportunity that as he's in the freezing cold water, that he knows within 15 minutes that they're going to get to put a blanket around him And he just stays focused enough so we can get that he or it was he said at times it was just trying to get through before breakfast to breakfast, trying to get from breakfast to lunch, trying to get from lunch to dinner. And I think that's how we have to look at some of these struggles in our lives is they are really, really unfortunate and can be horrendous as they're happening but they're not a permanent phase unless we allow them to become that. And so that's how I have tried to use these things as ultimately learning experiences that are leading me um, down to a deeper path of self-realization. But I think we also need to look at them in terms of self-care and the importance of showing ourself that it is okay to make mistakes. It is okay to have these things happen to us. It's human and that we have the power to recover from it and rebound and make our life 10 times better than it it possibly was. I, in fact, I just interviewed uh, coach, Matt Doherty, and here's a guy, if you're not familiar with them.
0: Oh, I am. On. My husband went to Carolina. We're big Carolina fans. We live right outside of Chapel Hill. So we are very familiar with Matt Doherty. It's funny enough. I, I remember I was looking at your, your podcast and I told my husband, I was like, guess who is on his podcast? I was like, Doherty. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Matt used to be a neighbor of mine when I lived in North Carolina. And I mean, his story, you know, he was on the national championship team with Worthy Perkins and Jordan. Yeah ends up going off and doing something else and then creates self-inflicted pain through drinking and ends up starting to unravel everything in his life. He ends up giving up drinking. He gets all this stuff back. It leads him to being the coach of Notre Dame, has tremendous success there. They hire him at UNC. His first year, he's coach of the year. Second year, has the worst record in decades at Carolina, and he gets fired. And, I mean, he hit one of the lowest, darkest, of his entire life, because it was this family, especially this coach who he had believed in so much, that was at the epicenter of firing him. And I mean, just the stuff he had to go through to relearn forgiveness and compassion and the wherewithal to rebuild his life um, is just a, a great example of this. And how, regardless of if you're a a world renowned coach like him, or you're in your own smaller subset of that, it happens to all of us and we all can rebound, but it takes intentional action to do so.
0: Yes. Rebound. I see what you did there, John. I'm picking up what you're putting down, <laughs> pun intended. Um. Oh man. Yeah. That's, that's funny. Okay. And now small world. So you lived in North Carolina. What do, You don't now, but you did.
1: I did. I lived in, uh, Mooresville, okay. um, which was where Lowe's is headquartered.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, we're based in Durham. So, um, but yeah, my husband's born and raised in North Carolina. And, uh, um, so that's, that's kind of cool. Fellow North Carolina people, Tar Heel State, go Tar Heels, correct blue not the duke one. Um John, uh man, we are running out of time and uh but this has been such a fabulous conversation. Um and so as we wrap up here, uh I'd love for you just to tell people how they can continue to connect with you and 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 you're listen to your podcast and um get your book and all the things. So, uh plug away.
1: Well, I've made it very easy from a branding perspective. <laughs> yes. So, you either can go to passionstruck.com and it's all there or you can go to my website my personal website at john r miles and that's where you can follow me on the social channels
0: yes and uh his pad his podcast passion struck uh is on where you know wherever you get your podcasts and again is one of the top podcasts in the world um so y'all need to go check it out and um just john thank you for your wisdom and for sharing um for sharing all of this and uh, for the listeners uh passion struck is let's see it's it's out now right
1: It comes out February 6th. Oh, so Um,
0: yeah. So by the time this airs, it is out. Um, So Passion Struck, 12 Powerful Principles to Unlock Your Purpose and Ignite Your Most Intentional Life. John, thank you for being here.
1: Thank you so much, Molly. It was such an honor to be here.
0: Thank you so much for listening to today's episode with John Miles. I hope you loved it. I would love to know what you learned or if there was something that inspired you or encouraged you. Please let us know on social media. You can find me At Still Being Molly or at Can I Laugh Pod, wherever you get your podcasts. And take a moment to leave a review of the show because it really does help us to know what you're liking and how the show is impacting you. Also, if you haven't had a chance to pre order my new book, If I Don't Laugh, I'll Cry how death, debt, and comedy led to a life of faith, farming, and forgetting what I came into this room for. You can do so right now. You can go to my website or my social media. The links are there. Please pre-order it. It is just is a huge help and would mean the world to me. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your support. And thank you to the team at Third Wheel Media for producing this show and for all that they do. Grace and Molly, shout out to you both because I don't know what I would do without you. Love you guys. We'll see you next week. I hope something this week makes you laugh till you cry. Bye.